Our opening prayer is from Psalm 6. Last week we did Psalm 5, this week Psalm 6. I'll come up with something different for next week, but if you recall last, last time I mentioned that um, there is a tradition uh, in some Jewish groups that you pray Psalm 5 every morning and Psalm 6 every evening. So, And, and I think you could probably see some of that. In, in Psalm 5, it, it literally talks about being up in the morning, but this definitely has a, a feeling of you know, confession at the end of the day. O oh Lord, rebuke us not in your anger, nor discipline us in your wrath. Be gracious to us, O oh Lord, for we are languishing. Heal us, O oh Lord, for our bones are troubled. Our souls also are greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? Turn, O oh Lord, deliver our lives. Save us for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the place of the dead, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my, my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. We thank and praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, um, just to, to kind of refresh our, our, our minds and, and to think through baptism a little bit, one of the things that's really important to remember about God is that he works through means. Um, he works through vehicles, some kind of a delivery system. Um, we, we talk about the means of grace a, a fair amount as, as Lutherans. And uh, by the means of grace, we, we, we mean uh, the, uh, the different ways that God delivers his grace to us. And chief among the means of grace is his word. That, that this is the, the tool that God uses to reveal who he is, to reveal his love and his forgiveness. Um, and this is, this is pretty significant when you consider how sometimes other Christians think about, you know, how does God make it known to me that I am loved or that I'm forgiven? And a lot of times they will talk about some kind of a, an experience, some kind of a, a you know, feeling in their heart. And I'm not discounting experiences or feelings, but these flow from the word. You know, and uh, if we really want to be sure, you know, we, we want to hear God's word say it. Uh, one of my favorite ways to think about this actually comes from a Christmas carol. Um, when, uh, when Scrooge meets Marley's ghost, you know, he, uh, he says to him, you know, don't, don't you believe that, that I'm here? He's like, you could be a bit of bad beef. You know, you could be a bit of indigestion or, you know, what, whatever. I'm always leery when it comes to, you know, I had this feeling. Okay, well, let's take that feeling back to the Word. And the Word is the sure and solid place that we stand uh, in order to know God's will for us to know His love and, and His salvation. In addition to the Word, there are two other means of grace. We call them the sacraments baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. 
although you could probably make an argument for absolution uh, being one of the means of grace too. And people have over the years, you know, talked about four means of grace. I tend to not count absolution as a means of grace because ultimately absolution is just proclaiming the word. But if you want to look at it differently, you would not be in bad company. There are a lot of people who feel that way, and that's absolutely fine. Um, so some of accuse us as Lutherans of being um, sacramentalists, that we worship the sacraments. Um, but it's actually probably more correct to say that we hold the sacraments in very high regard because we recognize them as tools that God uses to deliver grace to us as vehicles that he brings his forgiveness and life and salvation to us. You know, and so we, we cherish uh, these moments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We remember these things across our lives um, as places where, where God has given his gifts to us. And you can see this in the way that we worship. You know, it's reflected in, in, in our, even the layout of the worship service. You know, so we open up with the, uh, the opening hymn which is usually something to draw us in. And the first words that I say in every worship service after that hymn are, in the name. Yeah, we go right back to baptism. And then that baptism leads right into confession and absolution because our confidence that our sins are forgiven begins with the fact that we are baptized. The service moves into what we call the service of the word. And that includes a confession of faith, speaking you know, <laughs> words of these are what I believe on the basis of what God's word says to me. Um, and then there's the service of the sacrament uh, where we receive the Lord's Supper. And so really when you think about our worship service, you can think about it kind of like a, um, a maybe like a small mountain range with three peaks. You've got absolution, that's a peak. You've got the proclamation of the word, that's you know, a, a peak. And then the Lord's Supper as a, a peak, as high points uh, of the worship service. And uh, the way that we think about worship and the sacraments, it's, it's rooted in the scripture's teaching in places like Romans 6, dealing specifically with baptism. Um, because what's happening is it's focusing us on what God does. And then as God does his work of bringing salvation uh, into us, it, it, it brings things out of us. It leads us into repentance. It changes the way that we think and we act. Uh, and, and then um, as we think about how God is working in us and changing us, we find ourselves being aligned with his will and his truth and this new logic that uh, we live by grace and we live by faith. So we dive back in to Romans 6 and pick up at verse 3. Um, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now we need to remember that Romans chapter 6 begins with a question or, or some kind of a, a, a questioning idea. The question being, should we sin more so that we get more grace? 
And the answer is no way. And he begins peeling back this by asking this question. Do you not know that whoever of us has been baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death we were baptized? So I hit this last week. What do we receive when we are baptized? Because we usually think forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. But Romans 6 says something rather odd. We receive Jesus' death. That's the gift God gives us in baptism. We, we talk about Jesus taking our place you know, on the cross. You know, he bears our sins. He dies for us. Right? We say that, right? Jesus died for me. It isn't just this thing that happened kind of out there. It's, it happened out there and it's given to you. Jesus died for you. He takes your sins. He nails them to the cross. I, I love the way that Colossians talks about this. It nails it to the cross and leaves it there like a public spectacle. Just like, this is so ridiculous. Boom, leave it there. And so what does Jesus give you? He gives you his death. That place where your sins died. That, that place where your sinful nature was defeated. That's his gift to you. And it comes through his death. And, and so I'm looking at a group of people that I can actually rightly say have died. It's strange wording to me though. I, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a hard phrase to grasp. I understand fully he gives me life and I, you know, but that, that phraseology, it just, um, that he gives you death, it's just, I've never run into it. Can't, anyway. No, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't sound strange. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that, you know, maybe you haven't run into that way of talking before. You know, it's not a way that we talk very often. But getting into the way that the scriptures are talking about it right here, I think this is an important idea. Yeah. It's not just, you know, you know, I've won the victory and I live forever. No, you died. In Christ, you've died. And not just, you know, so that you can be dead, but so that this can then tear you away from sin. And it, it can go back to Genesis 3, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God driving that wedge. I am separating you, you know, from the life of sin and, and death by giving you death, by dying for you. And we're going to get into this a little bit more in, uh, in, in chapter 7 when Paul starts talking about marriage and the widow, you know, that when a husband dies, that breaks the, the marriage relationship. And, you know, the, the widow is free in a sense. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to that next year. Um, but uh, no, I, mean, I should be there by September. I don't know. We'll see. I make no promises anymore. Um, but when we think about this, it, it, it is a, it's a great gift that he gives that if we were, in a sense, tied to uh, our sin, and he's going to talk about this in terms of slavery as well, and then we die, 
well, we're no longer bound. We're set free. Um, and, and he continues, he says, you know, not only have we received Jesus' death, we were buried with him through baptism into death for a specific purpose. So that just as Christ was raised from death through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, a lot of times we talk about dying and going to heaven. That's really not the way the Bible talks. The Bible talks about dying and being raised. Okay? That, that we will be raised on the last day. We'll receive new bodies and, you know, and live in, in holiness and perfection. But in order to be raised, in order to have this everlasting life, you have to walk through death. But that tracks with where Christ says, if anyone is in, or where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah. And that, I, now that makes all better sense. Yeah, the old is gone. Right. It's dead. Leave it in the grave. The new has come. This is one of the things that's been hitting me as we've been reading through John chapter 6. I, some, the way I look at preaching, I want to I get into all the different parts of the Bible when I preach. And uh, you know, so that means that I, I make commitments by season on what I'm going to preach on. Otherwise, I'd probably preach on the gospel lesson all the time. Not that that's necessarily wrong or bad, but, uh, but there's more there. And so for this period of time, I've, I've committed to preach on Ephesians. And uh, this section in John chapter 6, uh, where he's talking about being the bread of life, I, I got to go back and count how many times he says, and I will raise him up. Just this, I'm going to, resurrection, folks. You know, I, I'm, bringing, I'm bringing life. I'm bringing everlasting life just over and over and over again, you know, those words, and I will raise him up, come out of Jesus' lips. You know, so he gives us his death in order to give us a resurrection like his, in order to raise us up. Um, so we're buried with him through baptism you know, so that we might walk in newness of life. I remember I had a seminary professor, and uh, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes seminary professors will say things to be controversial. Sometimes they say things because they're weird. I don't know which it is in this case. Um, but uh, he, uh, he, he kind of challenged us with this idea that, you know, we think about what happens in a baptism and, and everybody's smiling and they're, you know, oh, the, especially in Lutheran circles, oh, the baby's so cute and the, the white gown and, and all of that and, and, uh, you know, and everybody's really, really happy. He says, but what's really happening that day is that child in his, sin, his or her sinful nature is being drowned. It's a day of death. And then when we get to the funeral, everybody's weeping and, oh, I'm going to miss, you know, whoever. And, oh, and that's the day that we should be saying, hallelujah. The victory has been won. You know, Christ is risen He's coming again, and our now again controversial or just weird. I do think that there's something there for us to think about in terms of what it takes in order to save us from our sin. That we must die in Christ to be raised in Him, and then also how we look at what happens at the end of our lives. That it's not just 
you know, an end. But you have eternal life now and it continues all the way through your funeral. You will be alive during your funeral, just not with us. Now, did I just say that it is wrong to weep and cry at funerals? No, not at all. Um, I, I, I think that that's probably a foolish idea and um, I sometimes confront uh, families, um, especially when the dying says, I don't want any tears at my funeral. I often will say, I'm sorry to tell you, you don't have any control over that. <laughs> you know, we will proclaim life and we will proclaim salvation. But these people around you, they love you and they're going to miss you. You know, not all tears are evil. Yeah, it's a sad moment. You know, I, I think about this sometimes. Um, I go and visit my mom. I'm, uh, I'll be 49 in a few weeks here. And when I drive out of that driveway, you know what my mom does? She cries. I used to think it was tears of joy. <laughs> but every, every one of the kids, when they leave, she's weepy because she misses us. I'm, it's not a bad thing. In fact, there's a beauty to that. And then when we come to a funeral and you know somebody is weeping, I, I do want to make sure that we do this in the right way, that it's not um, this hopeless weeping, because sometimes that happens. You know, oh, it's, everything is... No, not everything is over. Life continues. There are still blessings to be had and, 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 and good things that can happen in, in this life, um, blessings to receive. But yeah, it, it is right to weep when we lose someone that we love. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Because I think it also shows that we're longing for that day of reunion. It's, it's a weeping that takes place in the hope of the resurrection. So... Um, so what, is it, what does it look like to walk in newness of life? What do, you, what do you think about that? As I sip my coffee pretentiously. Would you repeat the question again, please? What, is, what does it look like to walk in newness of life? I think it's walking with faith. Okay. Enlightenment. How do you mean that? Um, more aware. Of what? Of, of of what's going on, what and what's going to happen. Okay. And what has happened. Okay. Um. I guess that's as far as I can explain it. All right, that's fine. Going on your sermon, <clears throat> I was reading an article on darkness, and it said you need light to measure darkness. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you become the light, and you see the darkness. Okay. Yeah, it, it's hard to experience darkness without light, you know, because it just is. It's a, to me, it has practical implications. Where okay. I'm impatient, I'm called to be patient. Where right. I'm um, insensitive, I'll use that. I'm called to be sensitive. I'm, um, Lewis likes to say we become, we're to become little Christ, and that sounds very presumptuous, perhaps, but. It, it really makes sense in a way. Yep. Um, it's a very practical thing. Yeah. Um, 
Now Paul's got all those put off, put on passages, and I think that, that builds on what you were just saying. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, we, we are epistle lesson today once you were darkness now you are light walk as children of the light you know so that you know this all definitely is part of this um so when we talk about walking in newness of life we are talking about an ethical change in our lives that that our behavior changes remember that repentance means to change that we think and act you know it's it's turning away from sin and, and seeking to follow god um but I also think that it's important to remember that faith is foundational to walking in newness of life. That, that anything that is not rooted in faith um, ultimately is sin. And, and this, is, this is kind of a challenging idea, I think. Um, maybe it's simple for you, but it's one that I have found uh, uncomfortable over the years. Um, but it's a major emphasis you know, for Luther and, and the reformers, uh, and uh, the idea that um, you can do what the world thinks is the right thing, behave righteously, because we're talking about Romans, so it's all about righteousness, behave righteously in the world, and that still be sin. Or, on the other side of that, do things that the world looks at and says, that's sin, and because it was done in faith, God says, oh, that was beautiful. And what a wonderful act of righteousness. So, um, do you have a practical, everything that is not a faith is sin, a practical example? Or? Yeah, let's, let's keep working our way through there and hopefully I'll get you there. Okay. But Romans 14, uh, verse 23 is, is the key passage there that just everything uh, that is not of faith is sin. You know, if it, if it doesn't flow uh, from faith, it's, it's something that is going to be sinful because faith receives Christ's death. It receives his forgiveness. And it's only in forgiveness that we find righteousness. We are declared righteous. Our righteousness is something that's passively given to us and received by faith. So if we want to be righteous, we're standing in Christ's righteousness. So some actions look right, righteous to us, um, but not so to God. So one of my uh, questions that I'm asked from time to time that annoys the bejeebers out of me, what about Gandhi? Are you saying that Gandhi is in hell? Because he was a very nice man. No, he was not, by the way. Uh, read a, bio a biography. You know, the way that he's presented is, you know, St. Gandhi, but, uh, you know, but what about him? He did all these wonderful, incredible, amazing things. Okay. So in the world, he did some wonderful things. Were they motivated by faith? They were not. And anything that is not moved by faith or done in faith is sin. Why? Because I'm making myself the, the ultimate authority. I'm making myself to be God. And I'm putting my faith and my confidence in me and in what I do. You know, and this could be said of all kinds of things. 
you know, so sometimes, um, years ago, um, I, I was going to the nursing home. I didn't do a lot of shut-in nursing home visits uh, it, early in my ministry. Um, I was I was the youth pastor in our congregation, and so it was only after my my senior pastor uh, Jim Van Dellen, who was an amazing man, and I hope you ever you know if you ever get a chance to meet him, neat guy. Um, it, it was only after he retired that I started doing some of those visits, and I remember visiting a lady, and. Um, she says to me, why is God doing this to me? You know, I'm sick, I hurt, I just, I just want to die. We pray for me to die? I said, we could talk about that. And yes, I can pray for you to die. And, uh, you know, because death isn't the end, right? So what's the big deal? Um, but let's talk about this. What, what, what makes you think that God is doing you wrong here? Well, I did this. And I built seminaries in Africa. And I donated to this and to this and to this. Are those good things to do? To build seminaries in Africa and to donate? And sure, sure. Yeah. Does that earn you anything in God's eyes? No. So in that moment, she was actually putting her faith and confidence in what she had oh. done. rather than in what God had done for her. And it, it all becomes performative. You know, when, uh, when we look at our righteous actions apart from faith. And so when we do these things in faith, we're, you know, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. We walk in humility, you know, and we are thankful for the opportunity. Um, I think of in Acts where the disciples were arrested and they were beaten uh, by the Sanhedrin or by the, the um, not the San, not the San, yeah, no, the court. Um, Pharisees? Pharise yeah, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees together. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and it says that they walked away and they gave thanks for being counted worthy to suffer for the name. It wasn't, look at what we did. It was, Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to bear this in your name and for giving us strength to bear under it. That's kind of a heroic thing to do, right? To experience that kind of persecution and martyrdom. And yet, they weren't boasting about it because it was received in faith. It was done in faith. So one of the, uh, the examples um, that, that uh, Luther loved to give, you know, because we do tend to con confuse um, uh, these things, seeking our, uh, our, our righteousness and through our glory. Uh, one of the, the stories that he liked to tell, because he was dealing with these monks who were fasting and doing all of these things that looked really impressive. He would say, the mother changing a dirty diaper is doing an act more righteous than any of these prayers that you are offering. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm praying, I'm talking to Jesus. That's kind of a holy thing to do, right? 
depends on why you're doing it. Is it flowing from faith? Or are you trying to earn your way into heaven, as many of the monks were? And in the meantime, they're looking down on the, the peasant mom who's you know out there taking the poopy diaper and taking care of her son or daughter. But she does that move by love for her child because that's the vocation that God put her in. That that is a beautiful act of righteousness. this make any sense at all? It's, it's not the way that we think about it sometimes. Yeah, Dave. So if the, la <clears throat> Excuse me, if the lady in the nursing home built the seminaries in faith because she wanted to bring God's word to yeah. more people, that's different then? Absolutely. Yeah. And I suspect that because we're kind of a mess, that at the time, there was probably a bit of both things going on in her. Yeah. You know, she's not going to build a seminary over there. It, it's a pretty crass idea to say, I'm going to do this and then God's going to bless me. Yeah. You know, and so I'm going to, I would bet that at the time when the opportunity was there, that she saw that and said, you know, out of the love of Jesus, in order to spread his kingdom, yeah, I want to give to this. But then in that moment of pain, it's, but I did this, God. Why are you letting this happen to me? And isn't it a both and? I mean, I, I don't, we're all like that, right? I mean, yes. In, in our pity party moments, it's, it is all about us, you know, right. and the victim or whatever. So I'm not sure it's one or the other. It probably ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm days, weeks, months, years, minutes, you know, for all of us. I, I think that the idea that we're going to be presented with in, in Romans 7 is that it's at the exact same time. You know, there's this idea that the Lutherans really pushed out there that we are at the same time saints and sinners. If we want to feel righteous, it has to be in the declaration of, of God and what he has said about us for Christ's sake. And everything else then, you know, we're going to just let that be sin. And if we want righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness that we're going to cling to. So we take no, we put no faith in ourselves. It's all in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even aside from that, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to comprehend that why God at the end of our lives often makes us suffer. Mm -hmm. You know, especially just because we loved him or even, you know, yeah. or even if we didn't, you know, why does he make people suffer at the end of our lives? I think know, the word wrong, the, the word make is wrong. Mm -hmm. Might be better to say why does God love us? But, yes, yeah, that's why does that happen? Interestingly, we have a whole book in the Bible about that. Shortest title in the whole Bible, Job. And, and I think it's really interesting. You read through the whole book, and Job find, you know, Job is like, nope, I'm just going to receive this all in faith. I'm, just, I'm trusting in you. 
God, if you destroy my whole body, I still believe that you're going to raise me up and with my very own eyes, I'm going to see you. But at some point, he's like, man, I want to know why you let this happen to me. And God shows up. And Job regrets his words because God shows up in the, this whirlwind. And you know, he's like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I let the wild donkey go free? Have you ever petted Leviathan? You know, one touch of his flank, you will never forget. You know, where, where do I store the hail? Where do I keep the snow? You know, and he just, and Job's just like, and God's like, answer me. And at the end of it, I, Job is absolutely overwhelmed. And he says, um, I put my hand over my mouth, which is a Hebrew euphemism for, I'm just going to shut up now. But I think what happens is we become so overwhelmed by the, the sufferings of our lives that we become fixated on that and we don't see how God has overcome all of that in the resurrection. Now, did I just say that our suffering in this life doesn't matter? I did not. Or if I did, I sure didn't intend for it to sound that way. Suffering matters because just like all the other aspects of our lives, it's an opportunity to confess our faith and to walk trusting in him. And, uh, and it isn't easy you know, to, to walk by faith. It isn't easy to suffer in faith. I mean, suffering isn't easy, period. But to do it with a hope that says, I'm going to be raised up. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't understand what's happening. I don't get it. I, I hurt. I hate it. I don't get it. But I'm still going to trust you to bring me through. We spend too much time in our lives thinking about and focusing on ourselves. And I think one of the reasons God permits us to have what we think are unpleasant things in our life is so we get our minds off ourselves and onto our neighbors and onto Him. The main thing is God, not me. Yeah, and I also think that sometimes suffering... Um, Suffering becomes the context that love is shown. Um, and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing when you see uh, a child taking care of a parent in their old age. Uh, when we see, um, well, when we see a parent taking care of their baby, you know, for those of you who have kids, remember those first couple years? And every couple hours, it's like, oh, when am I ever going to sleep again? I think Chris at one point said, I haven't slept through the night in 10 years. I'm like, oh my gosh, hon. Um, that's, that's hard. Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's a beauty in there as we love someone else. Um, it's just that we don't necessarily be want to be the one that's on the receiving end of that because we want to be the ones who are strong and able to help. We want to be sufficient in ourselves. 
and I don't know. Uh, I remember one time having a conversation with somebody saying, you know, I don't like to be a charity case. And I said, well, if we have no charity cases, to whom will we show charity? I'm not saying I want to be the charity case either. I'm not saying that I want to suffer. But there is a sense when we look at these things through the eyes of faith that we can recognize that God uses them to do some things that are beautiful in a way that the world maybe doesn't understand or maybe that we even struggle to understand. I'm going to add, you know, I always ask, you know, does this make sense? But I'm not sure that it does. Not, not in the way that we think. And it's hard to watch people that we love suffer. It's really hard. But sometimes it's like a change of seasons. I know there's a lot of folks that, you know, a number of folks I've talked to that when they're older and they've been through suffering. They've lost their spouse. They've lost most of their friends. Um, every day... You know, if it isn't the knees, it's the back, it's this, it's this, it's and after a while they get to the point where they say, you know, if God's ready for me to come home, that's not a bad thing. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And, and, and it's like a, a easing into another stage. It, it can be that. territory right? for that. You know, and I do think that there can be that element of in a sense, breaking our attachment to this world to long for something new, to, to long for what God has promised. Um, but I also don't want to denigrate the experience of life in this world. Mm -hmm. Paul says to live as Christ. That's a pretty good thing. But then he goes on to say, but to die is gain. And so we, we, we're always in this tension of living in this this world, that, which is the only experience that, that we really know, as we look ahead to something that we've been promised is going to be glorious. And uh, and we I think we see peaks of, of that glory uh, when we live in faith and God changes us to love and, and to turn our hearts outward. And he works in us to trust in him, even when it's hard. Um, and, and to just, okay, I'm walking by faith. And just one more step, and I'm just gonna keep trusting in you for my hope, my life, and my salvation. And, uh, you, know, it, you know, the question kind of becomes, you know, was our focus mm -hmm. you know is, is it on you know the, the 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 ethical parts of our lives and being good and, and all of those things being being helpful being useful being useful is a good thing mm -hmm. however i seem to recall in the 1930s and 40s uh that there was a whole country that got into the idea that if you weren't useful you didn't deserve to live We still have elements of that in our world today. But if everybody is healthy and everybody is happy, what do you do with doctors and nurses and therapists and things like that? 
we have to have problems so we have opportunities to serve them, to take care of them. Uh, I suspect that in a perfect of, world we'd find other things to do. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Grow tomatoes. <laughs> eat tomatoes. That too, but you got to grow them before you can eat them. No, I don't. I can, you can grow them and give them to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are ways around everything. But the, so much of this in this country is how does it affect me, what's in it for me, and a lot of times what's in it for me is an opportunity to do something for you, mm -hmm. get my focus off myself. If we're thinking about ourselves all the time, you get warped. Yeah. You have to think about other people. What sin does to us it, when we think about uh, how we engage the world is that it turns our love inward. Mm -hmm. And faith then turns that love back out toward the neighbor. Which also means sometimes you have to be willing to be ministered to. Yes. You have to be willing to say, I cannot deal with the whole world by myself. And when somebody says, can I help you, you have to say, oh, bless your heart, sweetie, and let them help. And sometimes it means that we're going to experience pain and suffering mm -hmm. to love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. That's okay, because you've already died. Yeah. And you have a new life. Lord, I believe, help God my unbelief. Yeah, but we're walking through this world uh, in faith. Mm -hmm. And faith is not always sight. It, it, isn't, it isn't always, you know, yeah, I get it, I understand. Sometimes we can kind of come around and have these end-around explanations. But if you read through the scriptures, there's not a lot of explaining. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, I understand that it's confusing. Trust me. I know where I'm taking you. So, on that happy thought, um, we'll, we'll get into uh, Romans 6, 5 through 11 next week. Uh, one thing I do want to say before we wrap up here, um, you know, I, I set up the microphone every week and then um, I send out the email w with the link to this. Uh, Amy is kind enough to, uh, to post a link. Actually, if you ever see this on Facebook, it looks really cool because she like takes words you know, from the, uh, the session and, and puts them around the, the image, you know. And um, uh, I thought you would be interested to know that on any given Sunday, um, we are uh, joined by people from across the United States occasionally um, there are a couple people in Canada um, there's a person or two in Great Britain that visits us with some regularity Sweden uh, the Philippines and, you know so um, you know what's happening here um, we're actually part of a, of a bigger body than the group that you just see right here and I think that's kind of cool are you saying it's live or it's no? No, it's, no, it's by by recording. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. So uh, I, I do want to say uh, to those who join via the recording, um, if uh, if you're ever inclined to shoot a message to us to let us know who you are, we would we would love to to know that. So and we'll see. So God's blessings. Thank you.